Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? That's the question, and it's a very practical question. They thought of it as a practical question, Mary and Mary and Salome. They wondered who would roll away the the stone from the entrance of the tomb because they had work to do. They had work to do in anointing the body of Jesus. They had work to do in coping, really, with this loss, with this grief. They were busy coping, like you're supposed to. They're busy coping in a way that is familiar, I think, to most of you here. If you were to walk along the road with Mary and Mary and Salome on the way to the tomb that morning, you would find a setting that is very familiar. To any of you who have experienced loss, to any of you who have suffered grief, you would find the mood to be exactly the same. They were in the throes of it. And I think you know what it is like. When you are in the throes of grief, there are lots of things that stay the same, of course, and this is what can be so disorienting about grief, that lots of things stay the same. You still have to go to work, you still have to go to school, you still have to have dinner, you have to brush your teeth, you have to shovel the snow, you have to pay your bills, you have to stop and get gas. There are lots of things that stay the same, even in the face of grief. When you've lost someone, when you are feeling awful, Lots of things stay the same. But then, of course, there are all kinds of things that must change. Plans, especially. Mike Tyson, of all people, Mike Tyson put it this way. He said, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's what grief is like, getting punched in the mouth. And here's how King Solomon put it in the Proverbs. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand Plans are made, plans are hoped for, and then, just like that, they're gone. And it is disorienting. Perhaps you know what it's like not to be able to find your way, to struggle with how to cope. It's like learning how to live with one leg missing. Learning how to get by with a part of your life, a part of your body, in fact, gone. That's what it's like to lose a loved one. And we cope. We cope in all of the ordinary ways. There is something about the busyness of a funeral that I think helps, at least for a time. There's all kinds of practical matters that have to be settled. What about the luncheon? What about the flowers? What about an open or a closed casket? What about the memorials? Where should those go? What about the pallbearers? Who are we going to include and exclude? What are we going to write on the gravestone? Lots of practical questions. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us. Very practical matters when it comes to coping with grief. And so many of those practical matters arise simply from the fact that it's a dead body that you're dealing with. We are shy about dead bodies, perhaps more now in our world than in generations past. We do all that we can to keep dead bodies out of sight. And so there's lots to do when a dead body is suddenly forced on you. And it is an appalling sight. It's an appalling sight, and it provokes all kinds of remedies. So the mortician goes to work, embalming and applying makeup and putting on clothes and posing and doing everything possible to hide, to mask the fact that this is a dead body. 
And then in the entrance of the sanctuary, there are photographs and memorabilia, pictures of our loved ones when they were alive, because that's how we prefer to see them. It's appalling to see them dead. All this done to offset the weight of death. There are flowers to beautify the sanctuary, because death is ugly. And so we work. Remember, remember how it was when Lazarus laid in the tomb, Martha objected. Jesus came, his friend having died, four days later, and Martha said, Lord, don't open that tomb. He's been in there for four days. It's going to smell. Death is appalling. The sight of it, the stench of it, it's awful. And that's why the Jews were busy anointing dead bodies. Nicodemus, on the night when Jesus died, had taken 75 pounds of an anointing mixture. And he wrapped Jesus in linen cloths and he covered him in this aroma, this beautiful aroma, just to hold off for a time perhaps, just to hold off the stench, the smell. That's really what it was about. Maybe to pretend for just a little while longer that he wasn't actually dead. That's what Mary and Mary and Salome were coming to do this morning. Maybe they didn't know that Nicodemus had already done it. Maybe they wanted to do it as an expression of their love. They had bought some anointing oils, some spices, and they wanted to do something for Jesus. Or maybe it was simply that they struggled with the same thing that we all struggle with, and that is letting go. As appalling as death is, maybe you've noticed this even about yourself, as appalling as death is, we tend to hold on. We do everything we can to pretend that it hasn't happened. And that's even more possible now in our age where cremation is so common. You can hold on to a dead body for a long time. You can put it on the shelf. You can wear it as a pendant around your neck. You can do anything you want with it. You can forestall dealing with death for a long time. And we do that or tend to do that because we love to have agency. We want to think that we're in control, that finally the story is over when we say so. When we have decided we've had enough, when we have chosen the resting place, when we have scattered the ashes on the lake or taken one last adventure together, maybe that was the women that Easter morning. Maybe they were struggling to let go. When they said, who will roll away the stone for us, maybe they were thinking, if we can just turn back time a little bit. I know we can't go before that fateful moment on Good Friday, but maybe we can turn it back just a little bit, a couple of hours Dial it back and we can have another moment together. Kind of like how you look at old photographs. And remember, with joy, very often, but let's be honest, there's also grief. The time's passed, moments gone, things that can't be undone. It's like going back to the home you grew up in or the school where you went to school when you were a child. You go back and you remember you remember what was and is not anymore. I think Adam and Eve had this experience as they were driven from the garden when they sinned and the angel, the seraph, was put there with his flaming sword to keep them out. They were out and not in. And if they looked back, they might wonder what things could have been like for them had they stayed. And maybe from time to time, in their grief, they would look back and think, about what they had lost, but they could not go there. They could not return. Who will 
roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb, maybe for just a little longer, we can go back. The fact is, and this is something the world despises, the fact is that even if you roll away the stone from the tomb, even if you manage to go back a little bit, if you turn back the clock just a ways, it's still a dead body that you're looking at. If you go back, it is to what was no longer. If you show up and roll the stone away, what will you find? Not what you have lost. Now, the world, in its spite, tries to regard all of this as very natural. And this is one of the things I want you to pay attention to closely this morning. You have to fight. You have to fight against what the world says about dying. It is not natural. No one was meant to die. You were not meant to lose your loved ones. You were not meant to breathe your last. That's not God, how God created you. Don't let them lie to you about it. Don't let them teach you that you must just simply go through a grieving process and get to the other side of it and get over it, and then you will deal with it. It is not how it's supposed to be. It's not meant to be dealt with. Death is final. It's terrible. Dead bodies are appalling. Who will roll away the stone for us? From the tomb, no one can. It's not natural. And in fact, it's on account of sin. It's only on account of sin that any of us dies. Because of the things that we're ashamed of. The things we would work hard to keep anyone from ever knowing about us. Because of the things that we should be ashamed of, but we are not. Because we have broken God's law, because we have chosen to love ourselves rather than to love him, because we have hurt others in order to spare ourselves, that's why we die. Make no mistake about it. That's why death is so appalling. It's not supposed to be beautiful. It's not supposed to be lovely. It is what it is. It is a stone that is too large for any of us to handle on our own. The stone that is laid on top of our graves No one's moving. The soldiers, maybe they could have rolled it away for Mary and Mary and Salome, but the stone that's put on our graves, no one can touch it. Our sin is too deep. Our grief is too real. Now, this is a sad sermon so far, isn't it? It's Easter morning. Where are we going with all of this? The world tries to cope. That's a word that the kids use nowadays. I can say that at this age. It's a word that the kids use nowadays, and it means entertaining a sort of self-delusion, lying to yourself about something. That's what it means to cope. And that is how the world deals with death. It can only tell lies. I'm here to tell you this morning, without a shadow of a doubt, that the resurrection of Jesus is not a cope. This is not a delusion. This is not a dream. This is not wishful thinking. This isn't just some flight of fancy. It's not just some way that we get by dealing with and getting over death. It is not like that. The resurrection is truer than anything else that has ever happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He rolled away the stone. And not just the stone covering his grave, but yours as well. Do not talk about the resurrection of Jesus as just sort of one idea among many that might help you getting through life and dealing with grief. This is the only idea, the only story that matters, the only fact that can give us hope. Every other hope fails. But this one does not because Jesus has actually dealt with our problem. He dealt with death. He didn't just put a band-aid over it. 
He didn't just pat us on the back and say, there, there, it'll be okay. But he died for us. He took into himself all of our sin, all of the things of which you are ashamed, the things for which you should be ashamed but are not. He took them all in himself and buried them in the tomb and left them there. This is real and true. This is not a cope. It comes with a promise. The promise of God. God who never breaks his word. Never once has he lied. Never once has he offered something and then held it back. Never once has he let you down. Never once has he thought to himself, I'm not really sure if they deserve it. Maybe I will change my mind. Instead, he says, they need this. You need this more than you need life itself. You need the resurrection. You need Jesus. They didn't know what they were asking, Mary and Mary and Salome. They thought they were dealing in practicalities. They thought they were dealing with funeral arrangements. They thought they were sorting out who was going to bring the flowers and who was going to write the thank yous. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But they got a better answer than they ever could have hoped for. They arrived there that morning, and the angel spoke to them. What did the angel say? Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. No dead body. No appalling sight. No grief. Resurrection and life and hope. Do not be alarmed. I'm sure that you've heard about the shooting in Nashville, at the, that school in Nashville a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago now. It seems like the kind of tragedy for which there can be no response, no hope, no comfort. Three children dead, three grown-ups dead. The daughter of the pastor, shot and dead. Dead bodies, which are appalling. I heard this week what the pastor said after his daughter died. We are heartbroken. She was such a gift. Through tears... We trust that she is in the arms of Jesus, who will raise her to life once again. Who can say that? Who can believe that? Who can, through tears, hope in something so wonderful? Christians can. You can. God gives that gift to you. God is looking for people to believe his promises, like this pastor believed his promises. Believe his promises. Nothing else the world has to offer you is any good. Let it all go. Instead, listen to Jesus. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.